Hey everyone, it's Jim Sirk. Welcome back to the Medical Sales Nation. I really appreciate it. You're going to love this podcast. I interviewed Chris Ernster, who is the Vice President of Sales and Marketing at SRS Medical. Been in the field for 30 years, incredible wealth of knowledge, incredible success rate. Um, and we go into a couple topics here, investor relations. A lot of people ask, what's it like to sit in a boardroom? A boardroom can be a scary place if you're not doing your job, but it also can be a place where you can learn, obviously, but you get some really great insight from some really, really bright people. And um, he talks about how to build those relationships with those investors, with the board members, because they're in it for the long haul. They're in it you know, to make sure it's a success. So it dives a little bit into that. We talk about clinical leadership and what that means and what it means for the commercial side, for our sales reps. We talk about the best sales reps are really the ones that know the clinical um, uh, perspective, knowledge of the products that you're offering, that you can have a very meaningful, high-level conversation with doctors. That doesn't take away from all the other things that you need as a sales rep, but that's one of the key indicators of success. We also talk about what's the difference between creating a market and going after market share, and there is a big difference. People don't understand a lot of times when you're creating a market from scratch, you are creating something that doesn't exist, and there are no key uh, KPIs, I should say, that you can you know stick a, a, a fork or stick in the ground and say, this is what's going to make it work. You have to be flexible. You have to be able to pivot. But you also have to stick to the fundamentals of a good, prosperous career um, for growth. And, uh, and we all know what the fundamentals are. Um, we talk about cultural change in organizations. And we really dive deep into... Um, you know, like I just said, the fundamentals, you got to stay focused, have a plan, pivot when you need to. We talk about essentials of targeting and just making sure you're targeting the right people. Um, what problems are you solving? If you're not solving a problem, you're probably not going to sell much. Um, and an interesting take too on supply management, what I'd love anybody to leave a comment on at the end of this is how difficult is it to get products into hospital, hospital systems because supply management is working out of their home and they're not back at the hospital. So you can't have those interactions. So uh, just a side note on that, I, I think that was fascinating. So sit back, take notes, listen to it twice. If you're in the car, don't take notes, pay attention to your driving and uh, just come back to it. So without further ado, let's get at it. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Medical Sales Nation. I hope everyone is staying safe, working hard, and getting back at it. Um, I have a guest on today. His name is Chris Ernister, and uh, he is currently the Vice President of Sales and Marketing of SRS Medical, and he's been in the medical device field for a number of years in sales and marketing, and uh, I'm really excited to have him because we're going to talk about some of the lessons that he's learned in sales, in marketing, and launching new products, launching and building new areas, um, a new marketplace, if you will, and, uh, and just his experiences along the way that he can share that hopefully we can all learn from. Chris, welcome to Medical Sales Nation. Hey, Jim. Great to be here. Thank you for inviting me. It's an honor. Great. No, I'm excited. It. I thought, you know, to, to start off with is that maybe you can just give the audience a quick resume review of, you know, where you started and where you, you know, went through and, and uh, uh, just uh, lay that foundation. Sure. I'd love to. So uh, about 30 years in the medical device business, uh, primarily with Boston Scientific for half of those years, and then also some time with Medtronic and Bard. Uh, the roles there were in urology, cardiology, and general surgery, um, in marketing leadership and sales leadership roles. Um, I've also found myself in a handful of startup companies, in particular two, a company called Celeration, which was acquired. Uh, and now I'm with a company that's backed by a family fund called SRS Medical. And we're focused in on the urology space, in particular, the interventional urology space for BP, men with BPH. So the roles started in sales, uh, moved inside with marketing, have been in both upstream and downstream. 
in cardiology and urology and moved into senior leadership positions at Bard and Medtronic, leading at Medtronic their um, ICD business, and then at Bard, sales leader for their mesh business. Okay. So a little a, a dabbling in both the, the strategic and the sales execution side, Jim. All right, great. Thank you. Thank you for that, uh, that uh, overview. So let's start out because uh, th- everyone right now is talking about, it, it's that, uh, it's a silent, question and yet at the same time it's it's open but the changes that we're facing right now in healthcare and med device and med tech um based on i i hate using covid um as a as a reason but we have changed in yeah. how we're approaching sales and marketing and every time i ask this question i get a different answer which means we're still all trying to figure it out but from your right. but from your perspective from a sales perspective what do you think the folks that are out there that are listening to this you know might be you know 10 years into their career or less should be thinking about as as we evolve in this space based on your experience with the big companies as well as the startups yeah the from a from a pure pan perspective, um, I've only been with SRS Medical, and I think it's been extremely challenging. Uh, I have about 25 people in the field today, and our, our main call point is the office. And I, I like to uh, equate it to what the ORs used to be 20, 25 years ago, the access to the physicians and to the procedure rooms in their ASCs and um, outpatient centers has been, been pretty free uh, compared to hospitals. So that's the background that I have. I think what's changed is, you know, with with, with patient activity, um, physician activity, moving to uh, to more of an online consult level, I think it's made it more difficult for us to get to decision makers. Uh, keep key uh, uh, purchasing individuals working from home. Uh, the complexity of of the staffs staying home to take care of their children have made it very difficult for procedures to take place because they haven't had staff. So I'd say the number one challenge for somebody 10 years from now is, is not to panic. Um, I think it's um, it's getting better every day. Uh, I do think we still have uh, pressures on staffing in both hospitals and in, and in offices, um, but we have to stay close as possible to that scenario. Physicians now, fortunately, are relaxing. Uh, we did do a number of of online meetings last year with with key uh, key leaders and practices, but it's not a day to day experience because they're so busy. So I, I think it's just been really taxing on a field salesperson to deal with this slowdown. Uh, fortunately, it is coming back. As I mentioned, we, we you know stay focused on your goals because procedures are increasing and it's only going to get better. I think at this point going forward, you know we're talking now mid year 2021. Uh, my particular company has really come roaring back with with procedures. Um, our population is aging. We focus on Medicare age uh, people. So I think from a field perspective, discipline now more than ever is important. Having a very strong daily, weekly, quarterly plan that you're articulating well uh, to yourself, obviously, but also to your team so that you're holding yourself accountable. And the company's holding you accountable to what you really need to do to get to the level that you need. So I don't think the fundamentals have changed, uh, Jim. I just think that the individuals that have to stay mentally strong to stay close to their plan has been the, the biggest challenge. You know, that's a that's a really great point um, on that planning process because it's always been, like you said, the fundamental. You have to have that plan. So, so in this environment, though, you used to have a plan and you could say, I'm going to talk to Dr. Jones and within this period of time, I might get one evaluation case. But I'm assuming right. now it's taking longer to get that one case. It is. It absolutely is. So I, I think um, if you have, depending on the size of your territory, there's 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 a, a segmentation of physicians in terms of how aggressive they are as well. I think you know investing time and energy to see who is aggressive and focusing on them, and then you know tearing your ABs and Cs. Because there are practices out there that are super aggressive. We all know that. Yeah. Um, it's a business. Medicare, healthcare, it's a business, right? Right. So there's guys out there that have lost a significant amount of money in the last 12 months. And I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with docs that are like, I have to make it up. I have to work weekends. I'm working nights. I'm, I'm doing surgery at 2 in the morning. I got to get back on track. 
those are the guys that I think the team needs to focus. It's always targeting, right, Jim? Sure. That's the first first step in the sales process is fill your pipeline with full of the right individuals that are going to move business for you. And they're out there. You just need to find them. Yeah. That, no, that's a, that's a great point. It, when you're talking to the doctors now and they're telling you this, um, is it are they looking for um, a newer technology and new approaches to treat patients? Are they more open to receiving that message or are they focused mostly on, I'm just going to keep doing what I was doing before because I don't have time to mess around? Good question. I think the, uh, the, 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 the answer is um, we, we you, every, every specialty has a, an array of types of physicians, right? You've got the hospital and physician, you have the private practice physician. We work with the private practice physicians in urology. And those guys tend to be more on the aggressive scale. So um, a number of them are looking, obviously patient care is very important to them, but they're, the new technology doesn't matter as much as will, do you have coverage? Is there adequate coverage? Is it going to allow me to uh, treat my patients sooner, allow my practice to be paired on Medicare and on commercials? And will it help me, you know, grow the procedural base in the right areas like the ASC and help me meet my profit goals? So I think uh, representatives today have to be very cognizant of what procedures drive what revenue and practices, especially with their products. And I think if you can position that appropriately with a physician around, you want to give the best possible patient care, but you also want to give the best possible diagnostic workup with the right products that get you to the right procedures that maximize your revenue base. And I would say in the urology space, uh, 20% of urologists think like that. I think the other 80% let the day carry them away. Yeah. Where, you know, yeah. they, they think, you know, hey, I saw 80 patients today and they want me to high five them. And I'm like, you're really? <laughs> do, do you know what an EM code is and how much that pays versus a, a diagnostic code? Seriously, you can do 20 visits and quadruple your income. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I think representatives, it's it's a difficult question because it's an array of doctors out there. We we like to work with the business savvy docs that get it and we we try to really pinpoint the right procedures at the right time. So you hit on something that um you know really rings with me because when I was at Intellis, I came in, um, there was a down round and then I was brought in right to restructure the sales organization and uh, and look at how we were going to attack this marketplace and we made the decision that we're going after the office that we can take these docs from the mm-hmm. OR into the office to do these procedures now yeah. the 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 difference there was is that the doctor was going to get the facility fee as along with the um, physician right. fee right. it's right. a lot of money right and only in the beginning was a very small percent of the docs understood that from a business perspective. Crazy. And I would say, you know, if uh, that, you know, you're talking better patient outcomes, or I shouldn't say better patient outcomes, the same outcomes, minimally invasive. They only take a half a day off and they go back to work right away. And the doc is practice is four times as healthy because they're doing this procedure. And right, and it just everything added up, added up, but there was only a certain amount of those docs in the beginning that you could have that conversation with. It grew over time, but we had to leverage those doctors in a way to have that peer to peer conversation and bring other doctors together. And we would have meetings and we would fly in 20, 30 docs. Right. And I'm telling you, three might have leave doing the procedure. And it, it was insane. crazy, you know? It's crazy. And then what happened yeah. is that from a competitive standpoint, somebody starts doing it, patients start to flow there, and then those other doctors go, well, I guess I'm going to have to do this now. And it right. was it was really about, um, you know, the competitive piece of it drove it to them. And there's the early adopters, but it right. is it is that, for, mm-hmm. you know, for those folks listening, it is finding that right target, that right personality who understands and then grow with them. But you have to be a very valuable asset to those folks. You do. Yeah. And I'd highly recommend reading Crossing the Chasm, right? Yeah. Because you, you really want to pull these doctors over. And I, I, I spend so much time on targeting with this team that I'm, I'm leading right now where 
you really have to ask that question to the doc. Do you want to do more procedures? Yes, it's exactly right. Just you know, ask most, the question. <laughs> most people don't ask that question. And then, I mean, it's the what, where, why, how questions, right? Because it's you got to get those covered. And if a guy does say yes, I'm taking it to a next level now. Well, do you know that means you're going to have to do three to four more diagnostic procedures Tuesday, Thursday, and you're going to have to schedule four to six more procedures on a Friday. And you get this blank look, Jim, like, holy shit, how am I going to do, pardon my French, how am I going to do <laughs> it's that? All right. It's a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> how am I going to do that? You know? Yeah. It's like, Ernst, Chris, tell me again. What do you mean by that? Well, you have literally 100 men a day coming to your practice with this problem. And you're currently treating 2% of them. Right. I show that the numbers don't. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, it's kind of the embarrassment of riches today of specialists too, right? They're they're not killing people. They're making 750000 a year. They're very busy. So you, you have to find a way to get them hooked. Um, so that's why it's so hard to find these guys that want to do more procedures. But once you get them there, you have to walk them through how they have to readjust their day, how they have to readjust yep. their staffing. It, it's, you know, I'm a big uh, Sigma guy. It's really process oriented where we, we work with them. If you get the right guy, you can put a process in place where their workload decreases and they quadruple their revenue. Yep. It's insane. Yeah. It's, ins- it's, it's beautiful. But they have to say, yes, I will change my world to make this happen. Yeah. So that, once again, very similar to the Intellis days is that we learned really quickly that we had to sell to everyone in that office. We had to go to the to the office manager and explain the value propositions, the scheduler, the biller, the MAs and the PAs because we were going to change their lives. And so as we started to to say what you're saying is that you're going to actually become more organized and more effective and efficient, but it took right. a sales rep to step back and say I'm not just selling a widget, I am selling a process. That is going to be better for the patient, better for the doctor, better for the practice, better for the employees, better for the healthcare right. system. But it's a process, and you have to. You, so it, it, it goes back from creating a market to I'm competing against somebody who's already using a similar product. It's completely different. Yeah. And don't forget the problem statement, right? Um, I'm, I'm kind of in the challenger background. Yeah. Um, where. None of these folks, think about how we make decisions, right? Do we do anything if we don't recognize we have a problem? Probably not. So I think um, what I, I have a daughter who's in sales and um, I talk to her about this all the time. What is the problem that you're solving? They are not going to listen to you and let you articulate your solutions until you've clarified a problem. So I spend a lot of time with our team on four clinical problems that we have. And typically, it's three out of four once you hit it with these guys. And we've done the market research. It's been reviewed by their peers. It's very clear that they've got some problems going on in their practices, and they don't even understand them. Yeah. And they're significant yeah. problems. So once you get the heads nodding, and now you, you actually now have as a representative, once the problem is agreed to, a bar or a metric that you can focus on on proving that you're, that you're actually impacting yeah. with your products. Yeah. So don't forget, don't forget the problem, right? Have the problem up front. And it's most people don't, I, I think a lot of folks avoid the problems because it makes them feel uncomfortable as a sales representative, you know, because I'm making my customer, my potential customer uncomfortable. I'm basically calling out something that they're not doing correctly. How do I recover from that? Right. Do you know what I mean, Jim? Yeah. That, that's, that's not the feature benefit salesman. That's not the you know, the relationship person, it's a true consultant. That Well, that's exactly it. It changes. And I think I, for the sales force in this conversation, as you look forward, as our market changes and hospitals and doctors, whether they're employees or not, are becoming closer together. And the docs that own part of their ASCs, they have to be more cognizant about the cost of what they're doing. You have to present yourself as that consultant you, so that you can solve their problems and articulate it. Because if you're just going to go in and feature and benefit on your product, they're going to smile, thank you very much, and they're not going to do anything, right? Yeah. You have to yeah. know like you said, the challenger sale, I know your problem better than you do. Let's admit to it and then put a plan together to overcome it. And that's one thing that we did also at Intellis is that we wrote out plans and we had the doctor sign it. 
saying these are the steps that we're going to do and these are the steps that you're going to do. And Beautiful. they signed it and we signed it and then we did the checkoff. Now, did it work all the time? No, but it worked enough where we said, hey, Doc, you were supposed to set up a meeting for us with your scheduler and biller. We're still yeah. waiting for that, right? And then, the, you know, we you signed the document, you know, you're you're bought into it, right, Doc? You know, because yeah. this is your problem and it gave us an opportunity to continue to reinforce, you know, that problem because, you know, after you get done talking with them, within a half an hour, they've probably spoken to eight more people and might have forgotten that you were even there that day. So You're right, right on. You know, it just sparked a topic I had with a, a, a physician who runs a large uh, practice in Atlanta, Georgia. And he, he had mentioned that he has to pay his PPP money back. Oh, and, you're kidding me. Yeah. And he's been looking at, all, so he has all this Medicare that he has to start to, to pay back. And he's looking at every line item in his practice. So when, when you think, it, what, the reason why I'm bringing it up is we have three products that, uh, that we have in our bag today. And of course, in any small company, the, the best, the one that makes the most money for the rep goes first, right? Right. But there's the second two are very effective. And he's, he's like, tell me again about your other two products. Cause I know they're reimbursed. I know they're good for the patient. I want to get them going. Right. So as a representative, think about that. These guys are starting to have to deal with post pandemic financial situations and they know their business now better than ever, which is a great opportunity. That's interesting. You know, that, that's fascinating. And, um, and it should get people thinking about what you're selling and look for opportunities in which you're going to be bringing Absolutely. great more value to your for, to the healthcare system than just you know selling a, another whatever you know yeah. widget, right? Yeah, I think it's a great time for the prepared salesperson to really make, you know to, to take the day. Yeah, with a good plan. Good. Mm -hmm. So yeah. so Chris and I met um, on a conference and online conference and he talked about the lessons that he's learned over the years and uh you know and i i thought it was just great and uh yeah and it, and it you know it really opens your eyes and if you're going to uh um you know be in this business for a long time you want to take advice from people that have been through it and so um chris maybe we can we can just start with uh with your thoughts on those five lessons and maybe it's four today and maybe five. Yeah, I think, well, for this crowd, you know, the, the, the topics were, I, I broke it out into functional and career and uh, on the functional side, both on the, uh, you know, the strategic side and the, and the sales execution side, I had reimbursement, managing investors and, and how to build clinical leadership into your business. And then on the career side, it was really about focusing on role awareness um, personally you know, looking at the time that I have spent in market development roles versus market share roles. I just want people to be aware of the differences between the sure. two and how long how long it could take. And then the last is really kind of the, the, the one that I enjoy the most is culture change. Um, I've had the opportunity to lean out three sales forces, um, very large to small, and really come up with the most effective sales process. I, I love talking about that as well. But those are really the five topics. We could focus in on any one of those. Let's two. just jump into it. Let's go one by one. Okay. Um, you know, reimbursement, I'm going to push that one to the side just because every product is unique and has a different reimbursement scheme from, you know, the DRG world to the procedural codes in the office. Uh, I just think as a representative, I know we can't talk about reimbursement as salespeople in the field, but really understanding the codes how they were developed, what the technical and professional components are, what the APC um, pays for the physician. And the, as professional salespeople, we should know that information and we should be really comfortable with it. I'll just say that, Jim. Sure. Um, sure. Become an expert there. Um, the next topic was on investors. Um, I, I've had the opportunity to, uh, to sit in front of you know, Medtronic's investment board, Boston Scientific's investment board, and then also, um, you know, uh, uh, VC backed groups, as well as a family fund. I've raised, I've raised about a quarter of a million dollars along with a lot of work with colleagues. And I, I think it's, um, I've learned over the years to really bring your investors closer to you than pushing them away. Um, we've kind of heard the, you know, get the money and keep them in the dark. Mm. Don't do that. Get the money, keep them right there with you. Even though you have to spend time with them daily, weekly, develop metrics with them that really create a comfort level because they want to see the value increase in your efforts and work when you're small company or within your divisional um, you know, project that's been funded by the company. 
Sure. Look for those value points. Whatever those are, don't run away from them. Run to them. So with the with the young audience, they haven't had that experience yet of dealing sure. with investors and raising that money. So why why would people want to keep them a distance versus keeping and you want to keep them closer? Where's the value for you? So I think the people that want to keep them at a distance just don't want to spend the time and the energy to educate them. And I think that's a that's a not, not a smart move. Uh, I think to keep them close is I'm going to need more money at some point. You right. know, we're going to we're going to meet our milestones. Let's say it's you know we 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 start a pilot in one state. I hire one sales representative. Our goal is to get ten customers on board, and we prove out that there is a clinical problem. We filled it with our technology, and the need has been met. If I help, if if I explain all of that uh, work and initiative to the investor, they'll start to understand. Number one, the scale of the problem and the challenge, the timeline it takes to get to conversion, and how are we going to duplicate that in other practices and in other states? So I think the more information you share, uh, the more easily it will be to raise more money. Yeah. No, and, and and for those folks, you know, you're listening, you haven't been around those tables, um, raising money is, is a arduous process. It is not easy. And so when you find a partner and somebody that believes in your story, they do want to partner with you. You know, you, you hear right. these, you know, you hear the story about venture capitalists. Some of it's true. I mean, they're putting a lot of money into your company. They expect a return, but they're there to help. You know, I found right. that, you know, that they're there to help you and they're going to push you, but you know, don't ever look at them as somebody to be afraid of. But like you said, somebody to partner with. For sure. Cause these, these uh, individuals have tremendous experience in different industries as well. And yeah. I have found when I ask questions, you know, I'll invite them to, after a board meeting, let's go and have a drink or let's have dinner together. And I'll ask them what's happening in your portfolio. What have you learned? Who else is in a market development project? What have you done in the past? And it's crazy how much they can share with you and end up connecting you with other people within their, um, their, their circles. So yep. it's, it's just uh, engaging and asking questions. All right. It, great. It helps. Yeah. And even within Boston Scientific and Medtronic, um, I think if if you develop a, as a young person and you're a project manager and you have a program that you're running, you definitely want to uh, step out. into It's a matrix environment. We all know that, right? Every uh, Everybody's a chief and there's no Indians. But at the end of the day, it's the people that really collaborate well that end up getting more resources. It's right. Like, okay, I trust Jim because he says what he does. He doesn't lie to me. He works hard and his projects move forward because he's a go-getter. Those types of individuals in, in the matrix do extremely well. They collaborate. And you, you'll you find in your career that you'll move from, say, a lower level technology to a mid. And all of a sudden, three, four, five, six, seven years into your career, you're now a director. And it's all because of that collaboration effort that you invested in earlier in the matrix. Yeah. yeah. Great. All right. Yeah. Next. Next topic. What is the next one here? So clinical leadership, um, I think from an from a, a, a individual in the field or a mid-manager, mid I think leveraging your clinical team is absolutely essential. I think today, in today's selling world, um, you know, I, I have seen companies pivot on key, key clinical papers, key, key podium presentations, uh, influence groups around interpreting clinical data. Uh, I think having a, a clinical leader close to you in your career is essential to help you develop because I believe in any representative that I've worked with, the ones that invest more time in reading the journals in bringing to bear uh, the problem that we talked about earlier with a solution based on clinical data and your interpretation of that data uh, separates you from the pack. It's all about being the best possible consultant you can. And you can't be that person without a clinical competence behind you. You got to be the clinical expert. I um I couldn't agree more. The the best sales reps that I've worked with and managers and such were always always the best from a clinical perspective. Not only knowing the procedure, but knowing the data and the different studies out there because their engagement with their doctor is at such a different level. It's at a higher level that it is. right. And then there's that respect. I mean, they're not going to look at you as a doctor, but to be able to have that conversation. And when you get pushback on, well, your study doesn't have X, Y, and Z, 
they're able to pivot and say, well, we have X, Y, and Z. It's here, here, and there. And then if you bring in this study, and it, it's such a much more robust conversation, oh right? And doctors want to be there with you having these conversations because we forget they love to teach, um, do. right? And so and yeah. getting into that uh, educated conversation with them just makes them want to be with you as a sales rep and, and your reputation and your relationship develops from there. It's a balance, though, Jim, and I, I got a quick funny story for you. So I was a part of the uh, uh, the Paclitaxel, Express Dent Paclitaxel program, which goes back now 15 years. It was one of the early coronary stents with Paclitaxel on it. And we were so proud of our five-volume, you know, eight-inch thick clinical supplement for our reps in the field and for doctors. It, we spent hours and hours and hours on it. And the physicians basically said, is it FDA approved? And they threw everything in the trash. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's funny. I'm like, no, really? You didn't just do that. And the reps are like, Ernster, you made us go through like eight weeks of training (laughs) and all of that data. And all they want to know if it's approved. So know your customer, right, Jim? Yeah, yeah. That's so funny. But I think times have changed, though, right? There's got to, I mean, there's, there's. When you're competing against commodity products, um, yeah, that, that's where it is. But that is funny. That is a funny story. Yeah. It's don't, um, don't, don't become that. Don't become the clinical geek, right? Use it to your strength. Of course, yeah. You don't yeah. want to get into. You don't want to be the, the the person debating the doctor to see who's smarter, no. right? No, no. You want it when you, you you have it when you need it. And uh, it's funny because when I I started off in spinal implant business and I was working for Danic. And then it became sophomore Danic. And then we, we had the first FDA cleared pedicle screw. And um, it wasn't, you know, I think we had it for about nine months until the comp- competition caught up. But I just went into doctor's offices and said, um, I have the only FDA cleared pedicle screw. Okay, go see my scheduler. You're on. And um, so kind of kind of a similar story What was uh, that FDA clearance you're in. Let's yeah. go. So yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. But yeah, be the clinical expert. And yep. uh, and, and one of the main reasons I use as you as you move forward in your career, I've um you know maybe this is probably eight nine years ago. I noticed um, large companies were hiring medical directors, and you know I like what does this guy know about business? I'm saying to myself, you know, this guy's been a cardiologist for 25 years, and now he's sitting on this board making business decisions on projects and I have no respect for him because he doesn't know the business, right? You know, he's been, he's been sitting in the lab. So I, I have complete, I've done a 180 on that. Yeah. A complete 180. So yeah. what, whether, you know, if you use a heat map in your business where you look at what are your strengths and what are your weaknesses are with your product portfolio based on the top, you know, unmet needs or clinical problems, or if you do some other type of approach, having a, a clinical person weigh in on really what are your true strengths and what are your true opportunity areas, I think is invaluable now. Absolutely. I, I, if I can afford to hire somebody like that and put them on my, my team, I will. Great. But they're expensive. You yeah. know, they're very expensive. Yep. All right. So rolling forward, role awareness. I think as you look um, at making decisions on, you know, going from a product manager to a group product manager to a director of marketing, I think the sooner you can go through those, as long as you think you've got a, a, a good experience in those is excellent. I mean, becoming a director, I think, takes you to a whole new level in your career, either on sales or marketing. Um, but after after you're there and you're now looking at opportunities within a large company or you're looking at moving to a, a smaller company that has offered you some equity and a, a nice a role that could change your career, I, I think it's really important to understand Am I moving into a market share role or a, a market development role? I'll give you an example. I moved in. I moved. I left Boston Scientific um, at the senior director level, and I went into a small uh, wound care company that that had the potential to be sold for a billion dollars. And um, you know the the, the uh, attractiveness of the money at that time was so much that I just like I got to do this. You know, I'm, I'm early in my career. I'm a risk taker in general. So I jumped in there. I figured the worst thing that could happen is I'll go back to Boston Scientific or somebody else will pick me up. Well, it, it took us seven years to create enough momentum for that project to really start to gain interest by the strategics. 
had not really considered that, Jim. And, you know, yeah. definitely focused in on, I can see the problem. I can see the need that we fit and I can get us here. But to, to, to churn through the papers, to churn through the society leaders, to build relationships, it's a tremendous amount of work. And it takes, I mean, I, I would say five to 10 years for a market development initiative. And I just want everybody to realize that before they make that decision to jump into that company. Well, so I keep bringing it up and tell us that was exactly the same thing. I thought, and people will ask me, because I've been through a few M&As, that when is this company going to get you know, uh, sold? And I don't know if you know Brian Farley or not. He was our uh, chairman of the board and CEO. And he's, he, he said, companies do, aren't sold, they're acquired. And right. right. And, and it was like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. So I was at advanced bionics building their neuro pain, um, uh, sales force. And I thought for sure it was going to be, you know, a seven year battle because we were going to fight over market share. We got acquired within two years. And then I go to Intellis and people, people are asking me, how long is this going to be? Do you think? And I said, "Man, this look at what's this going to do to the marketplace and to the docs and the healthcare system? We're going to get acquired in two years." Well, nine years later, <laughs> it gets acquired. So you know, <laughs> yeah. so I'm never right about that. And but it just goes to show you, both of them were market. One was market share, and one was market development. And that development one took forever. And yeah. and it's because the strategics view their business in an old-fashioned way. And when right. you're bringing something new, it, you're going to have to prove it um, beyond the shadow right of a doubt. Yep. Yep, right on. Yeah, but it's exciting too, right? I'm, I'm attracted to uh, game changers, breakthroughs, blue ocean technologies. Yeah. And um, and they're, they're a lot of fun. But you at the end of the day, you have to demonstrate the value to the investor. And they have to start to see that that investment start to grow, so they don't have a down round or an even round. They want up rounds every time, right? Yep. Where their value of their money continues to grow, which really puts the pressure on the leadership team, the sales team, commercial team to 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 deliver. Yeah. And <laughs> changing behaviors is the hardest thing you can do in in uh, in medicine, especially with surgeons. They're built to not change behaviors, right? They're trying yeah. to do the same thing over yeah, and over again. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, so. so, and not to keep bringing this up, but it's from Intellis, when we would started to sell this, docs would say, and, and their surgeons would say, I went to my residency program to do surgery. And now what you're telling me is that I'm going to do a procedure in my office and not surgery. For, yeah. for them, it was like, no, I, I want to do surgery even, mm. uh, right? So- it's that mindset that you just mentioned. Yeah, for sure. And then your know, market share may, be, may not be as long, but it's not as exciting, right? My widget is faster, slicker, cheaper. Um, you know, those projects tend to move more quickly because a lot of the work's already been done on behavioral change. But, you know, it's, it, could be, it could be very interesting and cool as well. Um, but it's, 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 it's just different than a market development. And I just want people to be cognizant of that. Yeah. And ask, ask questions. hundred uh, percent. Um, when, when you look at market share today, what, let's say, well, let's look at it from two different perspectives. It might be the same. What, what do you have to do today that you, is different going forward? If you're bringing in a product and you are a startup and you're just going after market share, what are the one or two things that you would advise a company from a marketing perspective and a sales perspective to look at? I've always believed in you know, the clinical data matters. And in a market share game, the data is going to be subtle, but hopefully there'll be some things you can seek your teeth into and then identify the problem that you're solving. So there's, there's technologies out there today that, that come at a problem from different angles. In my space, they freeze things, they heat things, they shake them, they squeeze them, they do all kinds of different things. Right. So I think, um, I don't think they're... From, from a today's perspective is super different from in the past, but I think it goes back to those fundamentals where really understand the problems of everything in the market today, understand that clinical anatomy, really know the history behind it, the approaches that they've taken, what their workups are, and then really delineate clearly the problem and how your product actually makes the difference. 
So I, I think in a market share space, you really have to build trust and you really have to pull that right target over to your side with a lot of engagement and activity. Okay. Now, from a from a market development perspective, from a, um, a sales force, and you, you're saying, no. you know, know what you're getting into um, and how you're getting into it and what you're getting into. But you talked about earlier how yeah. it's challenging to get that into the, you know, purchasing. It's hard to get into the ASCs. It's harder to get in to see the doctors. So if you were launching a product today, yeah. how would you build your sales organization, do you think? Or is it, would you just do the same thing that you've, you did? Well, in the past three years, four years, I've, I've let go as many people that I've hired, Jim. I hate to say that. I think a market development takes a certain personality type in the field. Um, you know, I, I, I went to my strength originally when hiring people in this space where um, I went to the, uh, the urology experienced representatives, primarily OR based, and uh, they really hadn't had experience in the office. I was, I was struggling to find people with office experience and they struggled because they were more market share focused and the, to dialogue with staff and customers to start to them to think differently about how they operate daily takes a very unique person. I think it, they have to have an entrepreneurial spirit. They have to have a passion for change. They have to really want patient care to go to the next level. And they're, they're tenacious. And they really want to engage these practices and grow. And they have a long view. They don't have a short view. Yeah. Um, and they, and, and you, I create... I try to create an environment of a strong team with a strong value base where we are attracted to similar environments. So I think if you get the right person in there today, uh, they just have to know it's going to take time. Yeah, They have to be fearless and they have to work extremely hard. And I think our challenge is give them the right motivational tools, the right resources in their compensation plan, the right marketing materials, respond quickly to them, uh, get them the right information at the right time and keep feeding them so that they can grow. They feel like you're running right alongside of them as an organization. I, I think if you do that, you, it's, you and I call it the grind, right? right. Every day, it's, it's the, we're grinding it out. What happened today? Well, I talked to six guys and two got it. You know, yeah. well, we could do it again tomorrow. That's right. So I, 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 think, um, I think that's the recipe still going forward. It's so funny you say that because it is, you have to, if you're, if you're you know, developing that market and that person, you have to be as compassionate about that patient and those outcomes as you do about getting share. And yeah. because I faced, you know, similar things where it was more, it's only about the doctor. No, it's not. Not anymore. It's not. I don't, even if you're selling a, a commodity, no. you have no. to engage at a higher level and bring that patient conversation. And if you're just battling for cases and hanging yeah. out at the scrub sink and, you know, trying to grab a case, you're going to lose. You're just going to lose. Totally. Yeah. Totally. So, so hey, do you want to move to the dumpster fires? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you want to, yeah. I, I shared that with you, right? So. You did. And I, it, it made, it's made me laugh ever since because it's so true. Um, so I, how are we doing on time, Jim? We're fine. We're fine. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, this will be the last topic. Um, it's, it's culture change. And I'll, I'll try to tailor it to the, to the group listening. I think um, in, if you find yourself sitting in a sales organization today, um, you may recognize, recognize what I'm going to describe and, and wonder, what the heck am I going to do here? You know? Right. So I've had the opportunity to work with some of the finest sales representatives in the world. I mean, Boston Scientific, Medtronic. Um, and, a, and being able to hire and lead a group with, with two startup companies. And it's been a, a, just an unbelievable privilege. And one of the last companies I've been with, about 150 salesperson team that I was leading, has um, you know, kind of grown at the time. They, they'd grown very comfortable with their success. The field team had been given a lot of uh, authority um, to a point where you know, they, I personally believe and what I spend time with them on is kind of lost focus on the fundamentals and, and really look to other vehicles to the, for their success, changing the comp plan. For example, you had a number of people, you know, number one rep, year, year one, last rep, year two, number mm -hmm. one rep, year three, last right. rep, year four, right? Bad sign, right, Jim? Yep. Um, so there, the consistency um, wasn't there. And, you know, and the leadership team wasn't really holding people accountable either. 
And, uh, you know, coming, coming to this group fresh off of a, a huge success with, uh, you know, working with best practices, uh, with, you know, applying, you know, uh, processes to the sales force and really working diligently on understanding the steps of the process and having accountability to each step and working through all the right procedures to make sure that you're hitting all the, the appropriate levels of engagement so that you can sex- successfully move to uh, a, what I'd like to call as a primary user. Anytime we engage a customer, we always envision with our little calculators on our phone, how many are they going to use a month when I finally get them there? Yeah. If I, get them, yeah. if I can get them to 25 a month, I'm rich. Yeah. You know yeah. I mean? yeah. So um, you got to throw that out the door. Because that that that's just a distraction. It's it's what we all talked about before that passion around patient care, but then the discipline to uh, apply the process. And I, I brought in the, the top twenty salespeople in the country, and I found a very interesting variance. And and it's not dissimilar to the, the three prior organizations I worked with. You'll have a third of the group super structured. They, you ask them, they're, they're like, they're like fighter pilots. You know, I wake up in the morning and I know who my five targets are. I know exactly the problem I'm going to focus on. And I'm going to work on this today with them, with this particular product. I'm like, that's why these, this individual is, is excellent. Then I look at a completely different group. And you know what they say, Jim? I don't know what I'm going to do when I wake up in the morning. I just go with the flow. <laughs> the gunslingers. <laughs> don't. And, and these are the top 20 reps. Right. So the, the, the fighter pilot rep, his mouth hits the floor. Right. right. He's like, what? What do you do? Yeah, I just, I just, you know what? I just get in my car and I go and I hit 40 accounts in a day. Yeah. What? Yeah. What? You know, I'm, that's a little extreme, but it, it's a lot of accounts. And, and then you've got everybody in between. And what I'm sitting there as the leader thinking, there's no process. Right. There's none. And then I look close, more closely at the numbers, and they have the leaky bucket syndrome, which means, you know, this is about a $300 million business, about $35 million a year is being lost because yeah. nobody's yeah. watching the store. Right. So now you've got a growth number of 5%, and you know you've got to make up 32 consistently every year. So you've got, you've got more like a 9%, 10% growth right. because there's no process in the field to protect the base and to grow the new accounts. Yeah. So um, the, the the story from there is really mapping out what the best do, right? Getting that group of 20 to say, okay, we have a dumpster fire. We we don't have a process. We have a mess here and we need to change it. So let's, let's spend the next two days coming up with a simple five to seven step sales process. Right. And right. that's what we did. Yeah. But when you do that, the culture gets turned upside down. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Yep. Go ahead. Go no, ahead. everybody, everybody becomes skittish because they're exposed. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So one of the companies I went to, it was um, it was a down round, and I was brought in to to take over the sales organization. There were twelve sales reps. I asked. Um, and not, not getting anywhere. There was no accountability. They were paying them their, their monthly commission check, even though they didn't sell anything. And yep. so I, I come in and I ask for business plans. So there's 12, there's 12 reps, three reps, the first three reps come in and I'm asking about the business plan. I'm asking what they do every day. Kind of a similar thing. There wasn't a, but the problem was there was no best rep. And so, so I'm trying to figure this out. And I said, well, we're going to put a business, we're going to put a sales process together. We're going to hold it, you accountable and we're no longer going to pay you these bonuses on a monthly basis when you're, you're not selling anything. So two of them um, on their way to the airport called me back and resigned. And the other, um, let's see. So the other eight resigned within a week without ever coming in because they knew that they were going to be exposed and something else was going on. That is a dumpster fire. So That's, That is a dumpster fire. Right? So I go to the CEO and go, well, we no longer have a sales force. <laughs> Great job, Jim. Yeah. You're doing good. Yeah, I accomplished that all in two days. So, <laughs> so we kept three and then uh, uh, three of the 12 and then we built it from there. But uh, 
But yeah, awesome. it's when you build, you, you've got to have a sales process. And if you're a rep out there and you're just yes. winging it every day, um, I get sometimes how that might work, but I would really suggest you think about your process and start right. to build towards it. Cause you probably do have a process. You just don't know what it is. And some people are just consciously aware of their process. But so those young sales reps that are listening, yeah. I think there's two things. When you know who the best reps are, tie yourself to those best reps and learn from them. And then two, learn for the ones that have a process that can articulate it. Because if somebody says, well, just do what I do, run for the hills. So um, even if they're hitting a number, find those people that are more disciplined. They don't have to be that fighter pilot, but there's got to be some discipline there. Yes, for sure. So, And, 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 and once you've dialed in on it, focus on reproducing it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And continue to become the expert there. And don't wait for your manager. Don't don't wait for the company to show you how to do it. That's Figure so it out true. yourself. That's so true. You have to be a student yeah. of your game and your game is your game. And totally. you, you gotta figure it out. So it is so and at some other time, you know, maybe for for you know, we could talk about, you know, from a, a director, a VP of sales perspective, how do you lead an organization when that happens? Because I think there's, there's, um, I've made more mistakes there than anything, Jim. Sure, Frank. Because you know, keeping a president and a board and your your directors and your regional managers, you know, it's like 25, 30 people there that you have to keep engaged in an environment like that, which is really challenging. Yeah, it is. No, it isn't. I love to um, have a podcast just talking about that. But um, sure. Chris, we're we're. Uh, almost an hour into this. It's been a great conversation. It doesn't even feel like an hour. Um, what final um, advice would you give to, to this um, you know, young sales audience listening to this as they look at their, the environment and, the, and their career choice that they've made being in the med device world? Oh my God, be grateful where you are. No fear. We, we, we have the best medical market in the world. Uh, it's only going to get better. Um, all of the, the the wind, I think, is in our sails. You you you're really against yourself. It's it's just a wonderful opportunity right now. Um, find find a, a specialty that you absolutely love. Engage in it. Dive into it. Become a part of it. It will provide you kind of the uh, the most rewarding career you you ever imagined you could have. You won't even feel like you go to work every day. That's right. I just think it's such a nice opportunity. Fantastic opportunity for everybody that wants to be in this space. Yep. I agree. So good advice. So Medical Sales Nation, this was, uh, I found to be a very uh, exciting, very informative conversation, and hopefully you have as well. And uh, Chris, thank you so much once again for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. And Medical Sales Nation, until next, next time, good luck selling.